From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is influencer and host of Trans IRL, Suddenly Samantha. When did you first realize that you were different? What were the, the clues for that? Yeah, you know, this is something that I've known for a very long time. Um, I can remember being fairly young, you know, younger than seven, you know, five, six in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I already knew at that age that something wasn't what people were telling me I was, I guess. Um, you know, I can remember going to bed at that age and like wishing that I'd wake up as a girl. Um, and I remember being just very out of place in my own body and just feeling like this this isn't right. This isn't who I am. People tell me this is who I am, but but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really, con- it was very confusing. And of course, you know, I was a kid, I was born in the 80s. Uh, this is, you know, right at the start of the 90s. And there was no representation of trans individuals, um, especially for, for kids to, to, to see, even in the media, was, was pretty rare. So I didn't really know what to make of those feelings for, for quite a while growing up. It just mm-hmm. seemed um, like I was, I was afraid. Um, I, I won't say that I was raised in a religious household, but um, I was afraid that there was something wrong with me and that I'd be in, get in trouble for bringing these feelings up. So that, that really kept me in the dark for, for quite a while. When did you finally realize that you were, that it was transgender, that's what you were, that was what described you? Oh, so I think the first time I ever ran into a trans person in the media was actually, um, and this is horrible, but the movie Ace Ventura. I'm trying to think if I ever saw trans representation before then, and I, I can't think of an earlier uh, example that I, could, that I can think of. Um, either that or right around that same time when Jerry Springer was starting to become more popular on TV. Jerry Springer always came on TV like right after school. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't on the right channel, you're either watching uh, after school cartoons or the Jerry Springer channel. Um, and every once in a while, they would have trans individuals as guests on the show. And if anyone remembers Jerry Springer from that time, trans individuals were almost always portrayed as people who were tricking people or people who had a secret and they were hiding who they were from from their friends or their loved ones their families Um, and it was always a big shock right this person comes on the show and comes out as as trans and everyone's shocked and they start throwing chairs at each other and things like that and that's that's a really traumatic introduction uh, to to what being transgender is, I mean either that or or the Ace Ventura example, both very very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sort of supports the idea that trans people are devious or liars. Um, trans people are trying to trick people, um, and also in most of those cases on the fringes of society. Yeah, and that was confusing to me. That was confusing because. I, I didn't feel like I was um, trying to lie to anyone or trick anybody. I just wanted to be me. Uh, but I think that, you know, that really affected me growing up. So what was the process of coming out for you once you realized you were trans? The process was slow because by the time I was in my early 20s, I, I sort of knew what I was dealing with. Um, however, I was terrified. 
I was terrified. Um, you know, I had worked my whole life to go to college and get a good career and hopefully, you know, find someone to start a family with. And in my early 20s, I was on the right direction for all of that. Um, I was engaged. I was wrapping up college. And I kind of hit a point where I knew I had to make a choice that either um, I just try to put all these feelings away, put them in a box, don't um, don't address them, or, or actually have to, to face um, coming out and any of the repercussions that, that may come from that. Mm. Um, and that was, that was terrifying. It really was. And at the time, I made a choice to not come out. Um, it didn't mean, doesn't mean I wasn't trans, because I, I definitely was, but um, there's a difference between you know being who you are and then making the the choice to be visible or come out or um, start a transition. You know, you know what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people uh, in in the public confuse that choice as the choice yeah. to, to be trans, and it's just like no, we don't have that choice. It's just the choice of whether or not to live as ourselves, which eventually right. it, it eventually absolutely has to happen, uh, uh, but. It's just a matter of when we're ready for that. Yeah, exactly. And at the time, um, and again, this is from somebody who really didn't know a lot about any of what I was dealing with, other than that I knew who I really was. Um, but I made the choice to try to ignore it. Mm. You know, I've, I've got this person engaged to. I've got a good job lined up. You know, I can I can just get through this. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I, I tried to do. Um, and on the outside, everything looked okay, right? Um, started a family, got married, built a fantastic career at work. Um, while I looked very happy on the outside, right below the surface, this was always there. Mm-hmm. And while there were times where it was easier to ignore, it's something that never really went away. And if anything, over time, just got more and more overwhelming and weighed on me more and more um, as it became harder and harder to have to put on the show of this person that people expected me to be. Mm -hmm. So I finally got to the point, and this is getting into like 2015, 2016, where I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to to continue going forward by keeping this a secret and that um, I'd eventually have to uh, deal with it one way or another and that was a really tough year for me 2016 was a really really tough year uh, because I was I was so afraid I was so afraid because now you know as as it goes with keeping secrets um, the issues of that compound over time and now it's 2016 um, at the time I had three kids and one on the way I was over a decade into a marriage over a decade into a career and I knew that by coming out, I could potentially lose everything. Um, but it, but what really got to me though was that you know the stress of not being able to be myself and just this lifetime of loathing. Um, it got to the point where I knew that if I didn't come out, I just wasn't going to be here at all. Mm-hmm. And I think once I once I once I knew that, um, I, I knew that. I, I had to do something, um, and you know, I actually, and I don't know if it's okay to talk about, um, you know, 
self-harm or suicide on here, but I, I yeah, did absolutely. have a plan to um, end my life. I did. And uh, it was really sort of a fluke that it didn't work out the way I thought that was going to. And uh, I really got lucky um, in that I didn't choose that route because the reality is I never I never wanted to to die I never wanted to not be here um, I just didn't want to be in pain anymore mm-hmm. and I also was was just terrified of the, the consequences but the reality is you know I wanted to be here for my kids I wanted to be here for my family I didn't want to go I just uh, I just didn't want to deal with the repercussions that may come from this um, mm-hmm. but I ultimately stayed and it was pretty much uh, I think a month to the day after that incident where I came out to my my wife and that was the start of my transition that was in November of 2016 yeah it's it's such a it's so hard. I, I find it really difficult to describe it to people. We were talking before the show. Um, actually, it was, was it with you or somebody else. But um, I had a, a rough conversation with my mom today. And it's it's so hard to, to explain to people sometimes. But it's, it's such a weird situation to be in. Like you said, you have all of these things to lose. You've got this wonderful life and everything's working in, in, in a row. And you just can't. You, you can't go forward with it because this is so so much of a part of us so so much of an integral and important part and it's just it, it's so strange to be forced into that situation you know being <laughs> trans that you ha- that you have to deal with that it, it's and that's why it's so hard to describe it to people <laughs> I guess I think it's a unique circumstance that a lot of us have to come to terms with and I hear from people almost daily who are in the same boat because for so many of us transitioning earlier in life wasn't an option mm-hmm. or it just wasn't a, a very easy option uh, with lack of information, lack of understanding. So many of us just had to push it down and try to get on with our lives. Um, and as a result of that, there are so many people who are out there now in their you know, 20s, 30s, up to their hundreds that never were able to realize out loud who they who they really were and um, it's a hard process you know accepting what is needed to move forward in transition and and taking on those risks it's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do I don't know if you've heard of the people that will transgen will transition um, in their 70s they'll get surgeries in their in their mid to late 70s because they want to die as as a woman they want to die as as a man they want to die as the the, the gender that they were supposed to be the whole time i think oh, that's absolutely. that's tragic and and kind of wonderful at the same time that they're able to to do that and finally and finally do that but it's so sad that it's so late in their life when you you do lose a lot there that is a common thread to being transgender is there is a lot of loss involved but there's a lot of gain oh, yeah. as well yeah i think that's a common thread I hear from a lot of people is everyone who who I know who's transitioned always wishes they had done it sooner, right? Mm-hmm. For someone like me in my 30s transitioning, it's like, oh, I wish I would have done it in my 20s. And if I talk to somebody in their 20s, they wish they would have done it as 
an 18 year old. If you talk to an 18 year old, they wish they would have done it when they were, you know, a kid. So um, everyone always wishes for, for more time. And I think that's part of the human condition to just want more time. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is every day that I have as myself is a gift. It really is. Um, and, you know, we can always want for more. But we have the now, we have today. And I try to take full advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Who was the hardest person to come out to? Well, I think coming out to my wife at the time was the most difficult. And uh, there's, there's very few people who have more to process and work through than somebody's significant other uh, when, when you come out. And in this particular instance, I, I never talked to her about these feelings at all. I, I was on complete lockdown. Um, I don't think that's fair. I, you know, in hindsight now, I wish I was strong enough to have been able to tell her upfront what I was feeling and what potentially could have happened. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's, I made the right call. I, I don't know if I could have made a different call. Um, and I don't think many of us could have, you know, especially not knowing that transition was ever really an option. Um, but for our, for our partners in transition, you know, they, they have a lot on the line. Um, you know, you can't choose your, your family. <laughs> They're your family, <laughs> but you know, your partner chooses you. Um, and then to have to explain to them that you're potentially not who they thought you were, that's, that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. So coming out to her was by far the most difficult coming out. Mm -hmm. It was also the first, um, but it was the most difficult too. And every coming out after gets easier and easier, but uh, my parents, it's actually pretty terrible the way my mom found out. So I don't know if my mom's watching, but if you are mom, I'm sorry, I'm still sorry. Um, <laughs> I originally came out to my spouse and then I had a plan to come out to my parents three to four months later. It seemed like a good amount of time, start getting to know what I need to know, get into HRT, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, but while I was preparing and getting into my transition, I was also doing research and printing out paperwork on uh, medical procedures and um, I actually had some paperwork for a couple surgeons I was looking at. And it was just sitting on a printer at home. And one night, um, my mom was over and she was helping watch the kids. The kids knocked the papers off the printer. And then on the floor is all this paperwork for um, <laughs> these, uh, these transgender clinics. And it had my new name on it. Mm. And that's how my mom found out, was by stumbling across paperwork. Uh, and then, you know, bless her heart, she sat on the information for a week before she finally told me that she found the papers and she was just eating herself up inside. Uh -huh. um, so I felt so bad for my mom, but that's how she had to find out. Um, but that's, that's a story of how my mom found out. Well, that made coming out to your mom easier on you, I guess. <laughs> way easier on me, way harder on her. Uh-huh. How has their acceptance been since then? You know, both my parents did fairly well. Um, I think, all things considered, I, I couldn't have asked for more. 
um, in their acceptance. Um, there were definitely tears and there were hard conversations in there, mm. but overall it was just more a matter of learning and overriding 33 years of using my dead name before. Uh, and that took some time. Mm. And, and you can tell with, with parents, there's a difference between anyone in your family who is you know dead naming you on purpose or somebody who occasionally slips up as they're trying to learn and i i had to be aware of that and i had to work through that and it took my parents about a year before it was really locked in mm -hmm. but but they were trying the whole time to get the names right to get the pronouns right um and i just tried to be as patient as i could there uh, a couple of reminders in there but they were working on it and it's been it's been good it's been really good it becomes a it becomes a, a safety issue for for you as well because it's not fair to you to have to hear your dead name just because somebody is unwilling to accept you for who you are. Uh, you know, one thing I I have to remind people is that if you have family members that refuse to accept you or won't call you by the right name or the correct pronouns, you know, it's it's a privilege for them to have you in their lives, and if they can't respect you as who you are you have the right to change the way that relationship functions uh, and whether that's limiting contact or or just closing the door for the time being i think we all have to know that we have that power to protect ourselves yeah that's a great perspective you always think about what you're losing and all of that and, and you know yeah it, it will will this person accept me will that person accept me and it's really hard to switch that narrative and think well i accept them like if 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 they're hesitating yeah. if they're if they're dead naming me and they're doing it on purpose like you said then it's up it's your choice and you do it for yourself did you have any support from any people that you weren't expecting you know i think coming out is such a unique part of this process and it's been a while since i've had to come out to anybody uh close to me but I, it's so hard to guess how people will respond. And I think some of my like most interesting reactions were actually some of my longtime friends, people who I had gone to school with since elementary school. Um, and I had no idea. And uh, I think that my mind just really wanted to go worst case scenario a lot of the time. Yeah. And uh, very rarely was it ever anything even close to that. Uh, there was one friend in particular where I was actually supposed to be uh, in his wedding party. And I knew it was like the wedding's, what, just a couple months away. And like, oh my gosh, I've got to come out to him and I'm going to mess up his wedding. It's going to be a disaster. <sighs> and uh, so I, I invited him to lunch and it took me a while to come out. So early on, when I was coming out to people, it would always take me like a while to build up to it, right? Yeah. Like, okay, let's go out to lunch and, you know, have a nice two hour long lunch. And then like five minutes before the end, finally be like, oh, by the way, I'm trans. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I came out to him and and he was he was good with it. And not only that, but like the very next thing he said after, you know, I'm so happy for you is, well, you're still going to be at the wedding, aren't you? And I said, if you'll have me. Mm -hmm. So um, I was I was able to be in the wedding as myself, and I got to be a groom's person. <laughs> nice. And uh, it it was really nice, and it was just nice to have that acceptance from somebody 
um, in my life like that. And and really, so many of my friends uh, were very supportive. Uh, I will say not all friends. There were definitely people who exited from my life, um, but most of it was done in a way that wasn't very painful or drawn out. Um, mm-hmm. It has sort of moved further apart. Yeah, when people ghost you because of this, it's kind of nice. It's like, yeah, it's sort of best case of scenario. <laughs> it's one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, I, I think for some people it's it's harder than others because we don't want to impose, right? It's like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry I'm trans, I guess. Yeah. It's, um, but sorry we don't, I don't do we this don't to you, to but I'm, I'm trans. <laughs> right. We don't have to be that way. Um, but it takes... It takes time to build that confidence. And I think it's something that gets easier as time goes on. And um, especially as the transition goes on, you're just more and more secure in, in who you are. Um, your tolerance for garbage behaviors gets less and less and less as you move further and further away from how you identified previously. When did you first find community? So online is where I found community first. And that was through the online communities on Reddit. And that was really helpful for me, especially when I was still really struggling in 2015 and 2016. So if you go look at my Reddit account, I think it was created in 2015. It was when I first really started considering coming out publicly and transitioning um, and just visiting the subreddits there and trying to collect information, trying to understand like, okay, what does this actually look like? Um, Because even though I knew who I was, like the actual process of transitioning and, and what, like what what's all involved, what do I need to do, who do I need to talk to, and that was where um, I first found community uh, online. Okay. Uh, but then here also, I, I live in Phoenix, and there's a fairly large trans community here in town. And fairly early on, I was uh, able to find a connection through my therapist to a large in-person support group organization, which is Trans Spectrum of Arizona. And they're based out of Phoenix. They meet every other Saturday. And that was my first opportunity to actually sit down in the same room with other trans individuals and share stories and ask questions and answer questions. And that was super helpful too. I know that a lot of people don't have that opportunity in person, especially now with with COVID, Um, but other people that live in smaller towns or just aren't in a city that has a large LGBTQ community, they may not have that that accessibility to other people. But that was that was so important to me early on. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that as soon as you kind of came out to yourself and to your spouse as trans, you started looking up, you know, surgeons and all and HRT and all that kind of thing. Did your transition goals shift during your transition? Or did you pretty much know what you wanted from the start? See, I'm a I'm a planner. I like to plan things through. Um, I you know that's basically what I do for a living is project and program management type stuff. So very early on, I came up with like the list of things that need to happen, uh, which was a good starting point. But the reality is, um, how that list actually unfolded was nowhere even close to to what I wrote down. I still think it was good. I think it was good to have a plan. But sometimes it's good to have a plan just so you can change it. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really went as scheduled, but early on it was important for me to at least identify 
key things and important things for me so that even if I didn't quite know what the next step was, I had a general idea of what I was working towards and what I needed for myself. Mm-hmm. But that list, somewhere I've still got the piece of paper, um, you know, and there's lines crossed out, there's arrows pointing other directions. <laughs> some things never happened. Some things happened earlier. Some things got pushed way out. And I, I do think it was important for me to plan. But I think that anyone who does create a plan needs to prepare that that's just a, a rough draft. Mm-hmm. It's a guide at best because how life actually works out you got to take it one day at a time. During your transition, what were the setbacks or struggles that you had that shifted the priority for that list? Um, You know, I think money is always a big one. (laughs) Um, You know, trying to figure out how to support some of these actions while trying to keep a family afloat is, is difficult. My insurance had some coverage, but not a lot. Um, so it was a it was a struggle to financially set myself up for for certain procedures, mm-hmm. and that that definitely impacted timing in certain situations, and definitely added additional stress to life in general. Yeah. Of HRT and whatever surgeries you've had, what impact did they have on you in terms of feeling valid as a woman? So I have to say that, you know, everyone's needs are different. You know, some people won't have any surgeries or go on HRT, some people will. Uh, I think the steps I took starting HRT and having the procedures I did all allowed me to feel more comfortable in my own skin. And every procedure I've had um, allowed me to be closer to who I really am and to be more comfortable with who I am. So um, absolutely every procedure I've had has helped reduce dysphoria that I, that I face, Okay, um, has helped me feel more comfortable in my own skin uh, and just be more confident uh, of who I am. But again, it's such a personal decision uh, what people choose to undergo or, or not undergo as part of their needs and, and their transition. Um, it's hard and I think in some cases social media makes that harder Um, it used to be a lot of trans people transition in a vacuum where there may have been online support groups but um, very little photo sharing and and kind of the social media thing that it's exploded into today Um, but I think it's an additional stressor on a lot of people including myself, to know, okay, well, I'm trans, I'll go online and I'll, I'll look for inspiration. You see other people and you see what they're doing. Um, and it's a lot. It's a lot sometimes. And you go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I wish I wish that was me or I, I, I want that. You know, Photoshop and filters and uh, all of that. It's, it's an additional weight. And, and while I, I truly believe that, yes, overall, uh, social media sharing of our experiences is extremely important. Um, there are additional things to be aware of. Um, and comparing yourself to other people, especially comparing yourself to other people's transitions, can be such a detrimental exercise for any of us, uh, especially when we're trying to figure out what we need for ourselves because we look at what other people have done and we think, well, it worked for them. Will that work for me? Is that what I really want? 
And I think this is why it's so important to work so closely with a therapist during a lot of transition too, is to really understand what your individual needs are um, and what your goals are versus potentially wanting what other people have done just because they, they make it look glamorous or um, like some sort of a ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to look like a, a beautiful woman inside and out and, and be done. <laughs> Is that so much right. to ask? <laughs> and just, just like in, in a week or two, please. <laughs> but I think it's one of the, the things that we all have to accept. Um, you know, I think that for everything we can do and transition for ourselves, there, there may be things that we want that, that aren't possible. Um, you know, transitioning in my 30s, I'm, I'm never going to have hips of any significance. Probably, um, and that's that's hard. It's hard to accept that sometimes. But sometimes we have to accept. Well, not all women have large hips. That makes them. That doesn't make them any less of a woman. Um, I think transition is a lot of self acceptance along the way too. Even beyond just accepting, you know, who you are, but it's also accepting, uh, you know, what you can't change, and it's accepting that our validity doesn't come from fitting into a mold thrust upon us by society. Validity comes from being ourselves and from being proud of who we are um, and refusing to conform just for the sake of fitting into a binary mm-hmm. or cis heteronormative society. There's, there's so much power in accepting that and being happy and aware of, of who we are and, and where we fit into this world. What were some of the biggest learning curves that you experienced in your transition? Yeah, definitely learning makeup. That is not a curve that you can prepare for prior to grabbing a brush and going. <laughs> um, I'm still not great at makeup. Um, and honestly, I'm I'm relying less and less on it as, as time goes forward here. Uh, but for many trans individuals, especially people who transition later in life, we didn't have the option of getting our awkward years out of the way in middle school. <laughs> um, a lot of us are getting our awkward years out of the way in the middle of a professional career or uh, while trying to raise a family. So there there are some pretty cringe early makeup photos out there. And by some, I mean like years of cringe photos. <laughs> makeup yeah. was, was a hard one. And I've, I've learned over time that less is more. Um, and and now almost none is just fine but uh, yeah that that's definitely a learning curve that I don't think I was prepared for coming into this mm-hmm. wasn't it funny how it, it's the, it's the same theme again that as we get older we we get to the stage in our lives where we realize yeah it it it, it isn't as important it doesn't matter and and it's like now technically now that we're older we're wrinklier we should need it more but we realize eh, it's no big deal right how did you choose your name where did samantha come from how did i choose my name that is a good question um so i mentioned earlier i i'm a parent i have four boys at home <laughs> so four boys um and that also means four pregnancies and trying to plan for bringing four babies home. And part of that planning for bringing babies home is coming up with lists of names that are potential options for for your children. And 
for four different pregnancies. Um, there were plans to have a list of boy names and girl names that were in consideration. Mm-hmm. And Samantha was one of those names that came up multiple times as being in the running um, for for my kids. And having four boys, it never had the chance to be used. So when I did come out, um, and actually as a side story here, I never let myself assign a name to me prior to coming out because I was afraid that if I did, that it would just like unlock the floodgates and I wouldn't be able to stop or it would just yeah. be a gateway drug, I guess. Uh, but when it came time to coming out, um, that name was always a name I really liked. I thought it was a beautiful name. It was also a name that sort of made sense with the time period I was born. Uh, it wasn't a super popular name. It wasn't a Jennifer or Jessica, but it was still a name that somebody who was born in the early 80s pro- could have ended up with. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much the story. Yeah, that's how I ended up Samantha. What is key advice that you have for trans and non-binary people, either um, closeted or young trans people out there? You know, this journey is so unique to all of us. And, you know, as, as hard as it is sometimes, being in the closet is, is part of this journey for, for people. Um, you've got to figure out what you need for yourself. You've got to figure out what your path forward looks like. And I know it's so hard. It's so hard to be that person in the closet because I've spent the best, better part of my life there. Um, that said, this isn't a process that you want to rush or not think through. Um, for people who follow me who are in the closet, um, and I know there's, there's many of them because I, I was once you. I followed other people who were visible in social media before I came out. Um, I would say just continue to look at what other people are doing and try to use their experiences to help light your way. Um, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, I think it's important to follow uh, as many and as diverse a population of trans people you can to learn about their experiences and to get a better understanding of what's right for you. Um, there, there are so many wonderful people out there, and I've just been so happy with how the trans community online has grown over the last couple of years. There are so many people putting themselves out there every day. And I can now, you know, a couple of years in, and it doesn't take very long, but a couple of years in, people who were coming to me for advice are now, have now been out for years and have people of their own who are coming to them for advice. Um, it's a beautiful thing in the community. And we will lift each other up, or at least so many of us will lift each other up. Um, so for the people in the closet, you're not alone. We've been there. And when you're ready, we're here for you. That's wonderful. And I love that idea of passing on the torch and having other people help others that follow them once they've come out and, and just paying it forward, basically having that, that chain work forever. And that's really what led me to start posting on social media in the first place was paying it forward for the people who were there for me. Um, and there will probably come a day where I've said everything I have to say and um, I wrap up my social media presence and let everyone else who came after me uh, take the lead. And I think that's I think that's beautiful. I think it's really beautiful that there are so many people out there willing to put themselves out there in public 
to share their experiences, to share the triumphs and the losses and all the aspects of this process to help other people understand and not just other trans people understand, but to help our allies understand and to help potential allies understand. Because the more we educate people, the more visible we are, the better this world will be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much at risk right now, politically speaking. Um, our, our existence is called to question by the people in charge. And we're not going to win. We're not going to win people over unless we have their hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And the best way we can do that is by living our best self, being our best selves, being visible, being proud, and hopefully over time continuing to help people understand that the real trans agenda is just be happy and to be loved. Mm-hmm. I fell into quite the rabbit hole the other day, uh, reading all the comments uh, against my better judgment on the Facebook post that you made about JK Rowling and what she was saying. Yeah. How do you avoid falling into those rabbit holes? And are you able to go through the comments and, and see the positive things or do you have to just avoid them entirely because of the deluge of negativity that's also in there? So it's interesting you brought that one up. So my, my post about this author, got a lot of attention on Facebook, uh, was shared almost 10,000 times, um, shared in the LGBTQ community and shared in the community um, of people who are not huge fans of the trans community. And, uh, you know, the the negative comments don't really get to me. Um, At this point, there's only so many different variations on the same phrase that can be thrown back into my face. <laughs> um, there, there's, no, there's no original thoughts at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly, so many of those people who, who came into that post to post negative things, it's, it's, I, I didn't engage with any of them because, because why? I'm not here to engage with people who have already made up their mind. Um, yeah. you know, there, there are going to be people who I can't influence or, or if I am influencing them, it's going to be a long haul. Um, those aren't the people I'm talking to. I'm talking to the people in the middle who don't necessarily have an opinion or are trying to better understand how transgender individuals fit into our society. Um, those are the people I'm, I'm talking to, and those are the comments that, that I gravitate to. And you know, for every negative comment on that thread, there's another comment about somebody who was there to learn and learn something or better understands what trans people face. And and that's why I post and that's why I'm visible. Uh, sometimes posting on, on Instagram, for example, because of the way the algorithms work, things can become an echo chamber, um, like it or not. We, we're, we're at the whims of what Facebook thinks our followers should look like. And because of that, a lot of times when we post something, it's only seen by those people who have very similar views as, as ourselves, mm-hmm. which I think is important because it's obviously important that other trans individuals have access to those thoughts and feelings and experiences as they work on the, through their own journey as well. Uh, but that insulates us a lot from people who don't agree with us because the algorithms keep those people from, from seeing our posts because they don't want to see posts of trans people in them. So you always know when a post or, or something that you've done 
breaks outside that little bu- bubble when the when the transphobes show up. Uh-huh. Um, but if the transphobe shows up, that means that there's also people in the conversation that don't have an opinion or want to know more. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's like once I once the haters show up, I know that there's actually opportunity to reach other people uh, that haven't made up their mind yet. Mm-hmm. So and and then of course um, the haters actually end up doing us a favor because every time they comment on your post, it actually increases the the ranking of that post even higher in the algorithm because it has more interactions. So at that point, they're just doing me a favor. Mm-hmm. Sort of the uh, no no publicity is bad publicity at that point. I I guess so. Hmm. I guess so. I love that point of speaking to the middle. That really illuminates a lot about how to approach it. That that really makes and, a lot of sense because yeah, I, I found and, myself you know like I said I was going through all these comments and then there's just that that gut reaction of like oh I have to say something I have to respond to this and then it's just like is it really going to do anything? And there were people in there that were genuinely asking questions and so yeah that makes a lot of sense that that perspective and i'm not saying that the uh the transphobes get a free pass or anything i'm not saying that at all um i i think that there are different people who are better tasked to some of those uh direct attacks on on the the, the real um troublemakers out there but mm-hmm. for right now i i know where i want to where, where i get value um and over time as the undecided middle or the on the fence middle understands and sees trans people being happy and living their lives um that that group of haters shrinks and shrinks and shrinks over time at least that's that's my goal that's what i would like to see Mm -hmm. you had mentioned in our talk before that one of the ways that your channel kind of blew up originally was in posting photos of your remarriage where once you'd come out you remarried your wife as yourself and then you mentioned that that marriage eventually ended did the publicity of that have an influence did that um what did i say here i I phrased it better when i oh yeah did, did it add extra strain and pressure so as I shared my story, it really wasn't filtered. I, I, and I continue to present my transition and my life as it as it occurs. Um, and again, you know, that moment, the um, remarriage was was at the time a, a triumph in in my relationship, in my life. Um, but ultimately, uh, it wasn't meant to be. Um, and and I had to share that that news too that um, I was getting a divorce and we were we were you know going our separate ways. Um, I think that um, I, I felt some responsibility to to people out there, um, or, or I felt like maybe I let people down. Um, I mean, really, the only person I let down was myself, but. Um, I know a lot of people looked up to my marriage, my relationship, um, but I'm definitely not the only person who transitioned um, and dealt with a relationship. So many of us have. And I think this gets back to the point I made earlier where you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. If you're married and you're trying to work through transition, uh, while it's important to find stories out there of people who were successful in maintaining their marriage, 
it's probably just as important to talk to those people who their marriage didn't survive. Because regardless of transition, half of marriages fail in the United States. And transition is a pretty big stress to put on any relationship. Um, I'm well aware that there were a lot of people out there who looked up to me and the relationship that I had. Uh, a lot of them told me that after I got a divorce. Oh, we were we were rooting for you because we're rooting for ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stinks, right? I, I hate to take away a source of, of hope and inspiration from somebody. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've been open and honest about it. I've talked about my my experiences there, and I think it's important. It's just as important for somebody to hear that story as it is to hear uh, about a couple that that stays together, for, you know, in transition. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's tough. Obviously, it's tough. It's not the way I wanted it to go. But at the same time. You know, we don't have a lot of control over how life goes sometimes, and we have to work with what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to talking about your show, what was your biggest goal in starting the show? And has so, your goal and has it shifted over the course? I'd say the goal has pretty much remained the same with TransIRL. Um, and it actually started out of a uh, Instagram live stream where I started talking to other people in the community on Instagram lives because you can do a a little two-person chat in there Mm -hmm. and just started answering questions and started answering questions and from there it sort of evolved into well tonight we're going to answer questions about this topic and the audience participation was just so wonderful we've got people coming in here they're asking great questions at the time Instagram lives disappeared after 24 hours so here I am talking with another trans individual and we're answering all these great questions we're providing some good perspective and resources, and then Instagram deletes it <laughs> 24 hours later. Like, well, why do we even do it? Uh-huh. Um, so that was sort of the the thing that got the spark in my head that, well, why don't I do a show um, where I can talk to trans individuals or trans allies, we can pick a topic, we can talk about their experiences, answer some questions, answer audience questions, and then save it as a resource. And that was sort of the the idea that turned into trans IRL. Watching the show for just a few minutes even, I started to think about all the things that I'm doing wrong in this show. <laughs> um, what has your process been to Im- improve the show and how have you balanced that with making sure you're not w- worrying too much about it and kind of psyching yourself out of continuing doing it? Um, I've been lucky uh, over the course of the show so it's not just me but I've actually had a many people assist with the creation of the show and running the show and uh, right now we're in season two my amazing director steven has been there to help me uh, run the show and after every show we actually sit down and have sort of a what we call a post-mortem discussion what went well what could we do better next time and i've done that after every episode of the show so that over time I can start working to fix the little things I don't like here or there and, and try to improve the show. Um, I also want to mention Addison Zimmerlin, who is my director for season one. Um, same same type of role there. Addison was really instrumental, though, in providing the software and a lot of the graphics and interface for getting the show off the ground. So um, if it wasn't for Addison and Steven, 
I wouldn't be able to do the show the way I do it. I'm so thankful, thankful for both of them and their help and assistance in, in getting the show up and running. Let's get to some of the audience questions. Uh, Tori's gone already, but she asked, when is Samantha going to start streaming Donkey Kong Country 2 speedruns on Twitch full-time? So right now I've been playing Fall Guys a lot. Okay. And I, I've been thinking about Twitch streaming it, but the amount of swearing that I do playing Fall Guys, <laughs> is it possible to get kicked off of Twitch because of language? Because I think I've invented new swear words. <laughs> um, playing that, I'm getting angry just thinking about that game. But uh, I should, I should stream, that'd be fun. I know you posted in the past about your vocal feminization surgery, but do you have any advice for those looking for a surgeon as well as aftercare? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so there are more surgeons offering vocal feminization options now, if that's something you're interested in. The best thing I can recommend is finding people who have been to those surgeons and asking them about their experiences. I know for me, when I was doing research originally, I actually found people who went to surgeons I was considering, and I wanted to hear what they sounded like and their experiences, and that ultimately led me to the surgeon that I chose. Uh, you know, it's a fairly standard adage, you know, measure twice, cut once, um, mm -hmm. and that definitely applies for, for all transition-related surgeries. If you're gonna choose a surgeon for any procedure, you really want to make sure you're making the best choice you possibly can. And that best choice is the one that you've done the due diligence on to research and find as much information on as possible beforehand. Um, I realize that it's not always possible to choose a specific surgeon with certain insurance plans, but at the very least, you want to be comfortable with this person who's going to be performing this operation on you. What advice do you have for parents um, and helping their kids through transition? Um, gosh. You know, there, there are some really great resources out there of other parents on Instagram with trans kids. Um, definitely follow as many of those people as possible. But the best thing you can do as a parent of a trans child is to love them unconditionally and support them, just like any other parent would do for any other kid. Um, you know, there's going to be difficulties, obviously, um, along the way, but so, so many issues can be solved by, by just being there for your, for your kids, listen to them, support them, help them. Um, it's a long journey, especially for trans kids. Um, so being there, listening, being supportive. I mean, you know the right things to do. If you're watching this live stream, you're probably already in that boat. You're, you're probably already supporting your, your kid the best you can. Um, but there's, there's nothing greater than seeing parents who are engaged in their kids' lives and being a parent of a trans kid and supporting them through that process. Uh, it can be a beautiful thing because you get to watch your kid grow into who they are. And that's, that's an incredible... You know, speaking as a parent, just watching your kids grow up, um, what more could we ask for than helping our kids grow up to be happy and healthy and themselves and proud of who they are and secure of who they are? It's a really special, special process. So um, I'd say probably just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep loving those kids and giving them the support 
and help they need. There are so many things that you face as a parent. Um, life very, very rarely, even transition aside when you're raising kids, there, there are so many difficulties and challenges we face along the way. Um, most parents don't bat an eye. You know, like if a kid is sick, if a kid comes down with, say, childhood leukemia, well, obviously we're going to take care of the kid. We're going to get him to the hospital. We're going to make sure they get the best care possible um, because I, I love my child. And this is what I need to do to make sure that they're happy and healthy. If you throw the word transgender in there, it shouldn't be a different story. It's, it's the same, it should be the same response from a, from a parent. I love my kid. I want the best for them. I want them to be happy and healthy. Two more here. I think these are the last of our questions. Well, one of them is a statement. Miss Ari says, Sam, just want to say that I love you, girl, and your plants are awesome and scary. I don't know what that <laughs> refers to. <laughs> Thank you, Ari. Um, I have uh, quite the collection of carnivorous plants here. Oh, that's so. right. I do know that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Awesomely scary plants. Let's hope they, you don't have any radioactive waste nearby so they don't grow into anything monstrous. To probably make sure that radioactive waste is on the other side of the house. Yeah. Always a, always a good thing to remember. Yeah. Kids and pets and, and carnivorous plants. Keep them away from the radioactive waste. If you could go back and tell your pre-transition self anything, what would it be? Ooh, that's a pretty wild question. I suppose that everything will be okay. Yeah, I mean, or, or just that it's okay. It's okay to be you. You'll, you'll be all right. And it's going to hurt, but you'll be all right. <laughs> uh, this has been really wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse. And be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.